Impossible to follow, Trey. Impossible. Yeah. We're just going to make the awkward shift from five things that should never touch a vagina to Texas OU, Jeff, which unfortunately was uh, as uncomfortable as that last conversation at the end of the game on Saturday. Longhorns felt like, uh, well, they were the favorites to win this game going into the Cotton Bowl late Saturday morning. They were six and a half point favorites, according to Vegas. That line had fluctuated a little bit. But ultimately, Longhorn fans felt good about this game. Oklahoma fans felt good, too, even though nobody really knew what to make of this Oklahoma team other than to say that they were greatly improved from last year's squad that got shut out by Texas, 49 to nothing. And sure enough, those people were right. Oklahoma was the better team on Saturday uh, throughout the course of the afternoon and also the team that was able to make more plays down the stretch as well. And ultimately, that leads to the Sooners leaving Dallas as the victors and Longhorn fans hopeful that they get one more opportunity to beat Oklahoma before the season's over with. Yeah. And you mentioned this OU team just being that much better. I think much like last year's 49, nothing win, you know, regardless of who was at quarterback or not at quarterback for OU that game last year validated in year two, everything that Steve Sarkeesian and his coaches were trying to do with changing this culture, changing, you know, the way they play the physicality on defense, all those kind of things. I think on the flip side right now, obviously not in blowout fashion, but um, I think it totally, totally validates everything that Brent Venables is trying to do post Lincoln Riley there. Um, you know, where, hey, let's get back to almost a Stoopsian type of OU team, which obviously Venables had a key hand in for many, many years, especially some of their better seasons when he was defensive coordinator. But I think that's what you saw. And then I'm um, sure we'll get deeper into the quarterback you know, the quarterback, uh, I don't want to call it like a huge disparity, but, you know, Quinn Ewers got outplayed by Dylan Gabriel. I mean, he really bounced back after those turnovers, but there was still the stupid one on that third and 12 run where it's like, just slide, dude. Like yeah. down 10, trying to make way too big of a play in a moment where you can just punt and play field position. There were a couple of those moments there where even if OU didn't turn it into anything, whether it was the Ewers fumble or the Gabriel long run where they missed the field goal, it still flipped the field. It still changed field position. It just it's, those things changed the way the games played, regardless of if they uh, if they turn into points. But but yeah, I think uh, totally validated everything that that Venables is trying to do. The the stamp he's trying to put on this OU team. We're going to start and end with defense. We're going to be a physical football team, which honestly, in a lot of ways, is what what Sark is trying to do with UT as well. Um, and I think we we saw that in the first five games. Um, but yeah, I mean, your, your thoughts, Trey, on, on just, the uh, the way that OU won that game. Yeah. Look, let's start with the quarterback position like you just did, because Quinn yours, most of his stats were better than Dylan Gabriel's. There were two stats that weren't that made a difference in this game. You talked about one, the turnovers, that very first turnover of the game for Quinn yours. It's a ball that he just can't throw. And it immediately gives Oklahoma a short field that they capitalize on with a touchdown and a seven to nothing lead. When you're the first team that got the ball, but you find yourself down seven to nothing, two minutes in the game. At that point, you are fighting an uphill battle. And yes, Texas was able to battle back. They tied the game. Ultimately, Oklahoma has a three point lead going into halftime. Uh, you do get leads at various points throughout the second half, but it felt like Steve Sarkeesian was having to pull out his bag of tricks uh, throughout the afternoon, but especially in the first half, just to get his team back into the game. And while Quinn Ewers ultimately was better, even though he did have that second interception and that fumble, which I completely agree with you. BK and I talked about that last hour. You've got a slide right there. I understand yeah. you're trying to make a play, but you also need to know 
that you staying up right there gives the opposition a free shot at you, which could compromise your health, but also runs the risk of a turnover in that situation, unfortunately, and he did. So Dylan Gabriel was better than Quinn Ewers with turnover margin, but also running the football too, whereas we have talked about Quinn Ewers doing a great job with his legs situationally over the last couple of weeks. Dylan Gabriel was that guy on Saturday. Sometimes they were designed, and sometimes it was like, I see what the defense is doing right here. My offensive line has given me some room to start to get upfield, and because Texas is in man coverage right now, there's nobody in the middle of the field. I'm either going to pick up an easy first down or go for an even larger gain with his biggest gain of the day going more than 40 yards. So it's interesting because last week we would talk to Oklahoma people, and I would say in each of these conversations, it's incredible how good Dylan Gabriel is this year. And he's really not getting the credit. He throws a great deep ball and he has just chewed up the middle of the field. And he's also somebody who can hurt you with your legs, but you don't think of him as a dual threat, which almost makes him more of a threat in some ways. And the Oklahoma guys are like, it's funny because Dylan, people are split on Dylan Gabriel, Oklahoma fans. Some people love him. And some people think that he's not that good because of all the really great talent that he followed up, including a couple of Heisman winners. Well, I hope every Oklahoma fan who watched that game on Saturday realizes that if there is a biggest reason why Oklahoma is winning any big game the rest of the way, it's going to have to do with what Dylan Gabriel is capable of at that position. I'm, I'm chuckling a little bit because I'm obviously not, not an OU fan, but on the sideline, I was talking to some of those guys, but yeah, Dylan Gabriel, you know, throughout the course of the game, and it was just like every time I opened my mouth and ran my dumbass mouth, he made a huge play. And I was like, by the third quarter, I was like, maybe I should just shut the hell up. Like, because it, and even some of those plays where a Texas stopped him on the third down, there was the third down, the fourth quarter, uh, the big stop where they got it. They got it back. Before, I think it was right before they got it back to go on the drive to kick the field goal to go ahead. Um, I don't even know if they would have gotten first down yardage, but ball went right through receivers hands. And then the other, there was another one where, it wasn't the greatest ball, the one to Stoops on fourth down close to midfield. Like, he could have made that play. I think the the biggest thing to me was about Gabriel. He outplayed Quinn Ewers with a significantly, significantly less talented group of playmakers, receivers, running backs, tight ends around him. And again, it's not like a big knock on Quinn. I thought he played pretty well after the picks, but you, we talked about starting faster. You know, and last year it was closing games and through five games, that wasn't their issue. But now it's like the slow starts. It was almost like the script has flipped a little bit with maybe they've overcompensated in the adjustment category. But but I, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I have a hard time like pinning a ton of this on on Quinn, but he did get outplayed by Gabriel. And that first interception, man, was it was really bad. Like the second interception, I'm going to say, I think if he puts a little more zip on the second one. JT still probably gets blown up, but, and again, he could have floated a little bit because of what he saw or who was standing in front of him or thought it might get tipped. But I think if he puts a little more zip on that one, it might just hit the chest and fall down. Um, so I'm going to say that one was, he was trying to make a play and throw it to one of their best, you know, receiving threats and red zone targets, whatever. But the first one, it was like that double, that little double slant pattern they try to run. The outside linebacker takes away, I think it was A.D. Mitchell in the slot, takes away that one. And, dude, he just stared down Worthy and just it, like literally just stared him down and threw it into, like, three guys. 
it was one of those where it was almost, I don't know if he was in his head about, we got to start fast. We got to start fast. We got to start fast. But yeah, I, I, I thought that one was bad. And then um, I'm, I'm sure at some point you got you and BK probably talked about this and, and we can get into it, but the decision to then take it out of his hands on third and nine, when I thought they had a chance for the kill shot, I'm totally fine. Not going for it on fourth and four. I don't think that's the right move there. You've got to kick the field goal and give your defense a chance, but yeah, I don't know if you want to pivot to that, you know, and <laughs> that well, decision well, there to then not give your quarterback a chance to throw it for nine yards after they've been getting chunk play after chunk play. Yeah, I think Steve Sarkeesian in that moment was doing what we see out of a lot of coaches nowadays, which is trying to cut that down in distance in half to go for it on fourth down. But I feel like he second-guessed himself after that because I think Oklahoma called the timeout maybe, and then he sends the offense back out to, <coughs> excuse me, to try and draw them off sides. And then that didn't work, so he calls the timeout and sends Bird Auburn out there. I just think he needed to stick with his gut because while you have faith in this defense and what they have been able to accomplish this year, Saturday just wasn't their day. And you knew if you left Oklahoma with a minute left, there was a good chance they were going to at least get down the field to kick a field goal, if not put themselves in position to score a touchdown, which they ultimately did. So it was certainly not Steve Sarkeesian's finest moment as an offensive play caller specifically in the second half, because I thought he did a great job in the first half. Unfortunately, there were two moments in the second half, two series that will define this game for years to come. And that is Texas getting the ball all the way down to what the one or two yard line and then insisting on that gimmicky jumbo package for the first three plays of that set of downs and finding no room to run and then running what was a pretty decent slant to Xavier Worthy that you have to give credit to the Oklahoma defensive players for jumping on and stopping him a half yard short. That was just good coaching and excellent execution by the Sooners. But by the same token, that maybe should have been a second or third down play for you. Or if you didn't want to hand the ball off to Jonathan Brooks after that first down play, maybe you spread things out a little bit more to give the Sooners defense more to think about there. Unfortunately, they didn't do that. They came up short in terms of scoring any points, knowing what the red zones have been this year. And that turned into a, a big difference in the final outcome of this game to go along with that second to last drive where they ultimately do settle for a Burt Auburn field goal. And credit to Burt Auburn, by the way. Lots of questions asked about him last week because he had missed some makeable field goals over the previous couple of weeks. He showed up and he was clutch in that game. But unfortunately, he was kicking field goals in situations where Texas needed to be finding the end zone. And they did not do that nearly enough. Let me ask you real quick, because you've obviously covered this game on the field multiple years now. Where were you on Saturday's game? Is it one place that you are the entire time, or are you able to move around a little bit throughout the course of the game? So when I'm filming, I always have, we have two uh, two photographers there. One of our news photographers will get the other team, like they'll stand in the other, where the, the other team's scoring. So he was right there for, you know, the OU touchdowns. And then I always have Texas coming at me now, okay. sometimes on the road, like if it's just me, like at the Alabama game, I was the only one down there filming. So I'll kind of run around on the sideline or try to stand at the 20 and, you know, get different shots like that to try to get it. Because you you obviously, for the most part, you want everything come, all the touchdowns coming at you. Yeah. So I had for, for as much as I miss when I'm filming of stuff that happens like down at the 40 or 50 and beyond, um, down on the other end of the field, I had a great view of that, that Xavier play you know, where he almost got it over. I saw some Texas fans trying to, like, show an angle. He did not get in. He yeah. did not get in, guys. Like, just get over it. He, yep. It wasn't a touchdown. He was short. Like, 
and and you know I think on the my thought on that goal line stand is I'm fine with the um you know with running it twice there like I really am fine with that Brooks has been really effective he's I mean arguably been their best offensive player the last couple of games I'm totally fine with that but at some point before fourth down I agree with what you said I think you need to spread it out and I think you need to do some sort of sprint out left sprint out right whatever sprint out to the long uh, wide side of the field and give Quinn he's proven an ability you know to kind of wiggle his way in he's had a couple touchdowns like that now and then of course the long touchdown runs you got to give him a chance to roll out and kind of assess it and make the defense make a decision they come at you hopefully somebody else is over is available over the top for one of those little pop passes over you know that you see all the time an easy red easy red zone touchdown or goal line touchdown or if they sag back and give too much respect to a JT Sanders a Gunner Helm or whoever Xavier running around in the back then you you take a dive at the end zone i just thought that some that was my only criticism of that you know i mean credit to ou i mean they played incredible defense but that was the one criticism on that was i thought you've got to at some point give quinn a chance to kind of make a play there look there's no need to overthink short yardage plays right now in football by the way the philadelphia eagles have given you the automatic blueprint (laughs) for success in a short yardage situation especially if you have three or four cracks out it it's the brotherly shove play yeah this is a play that is so effective it's about to be made illegal in football in the nfl and probably college football starting next season but for right now it's legal if you're worried about quinn ewers getting hurt in that situation i bet malik murphy would love to run that play or savion red would lo- yes. love to run that play or jt sanders Find somebody to run that play. That's how you make that play idiot-proof. Unfortunately, they tried to do things the hard way and came up fruitless as a result. I'm glad you said that about Malik Murphy because I had a buddy text me and say, you know, why not a QB sneak? Why not a, you know, you called it the brotherly shove, which I love a lot more than the tush push. I mean, that's a fine, you know, but at least it's unique. It's really unique to Philly with the brotherly shove. Um, But he texted me. He's like, okay, you don't want to get Quinn hurt. Because, you know, we saw Mahomes get hurt a couple years ago in the sneak. And I think that scared everybody now, um, except for Philly. And, I mean, people still do it. But it has scared some teams out of doing, you know, quarterback sneaks as often as they can they can avoid it. Or when they can avoid it, they will. Okay, bring Malik Murphy in. You can't redshirt the dude anymore. Bring him in. and he would, Or bring Savion Red in. I mean, we got the code red package all these other times in the game. Why can't he go under center? And if you're not comfortable with him taking a snap under center... I get it. Then put Malik Murphy in there. Like, I don't know. Let these other guys contribute. And if you're, like I said, if you're that worried about Quinn getting banged up, like it's not like not like they don't have anybody behind Malik Murphy. I mean, <laughs> we've talked about that ad nauseum. The, the dude they got behind him is somebody people are pretty high on. Malik Murphy is a massive dude. You've stood yes. next to him on the sidelines before. He is not going to get hurt running that play. Yeah. Uh, so, let me ask you this real quick. This is a side note because I'm, uh, as, as we've talked about on this, on these two hours, I am jealous of your job in a lot of ways, especially the shots that you get from just behind the end zone. So you're spending part of your time in the Oklahoma section watching Texas try to score touchdowns. What is that like for you to watch the crowd as, or to hear the crowd as loud as they are? trying to uh, help their defense keep the Longhorns from getting into the end zone, but then Texas actually does score a touchdown. What is that like 
from the journalist perspective? Uh, there's, I mean, I'm not breaking any news to anybody. Like most people have probably been to that game. If you're a Texas fan at some point, the, the split is the craziest part because so when the gunner Helm touchdown was scored, that was on the OU side. So yeah. I'm on the OU side of the stadium and you hear, I mean, it's loud enough, but like, it's crazy the difference between when they score a touchdown on which side. I mean, it kind of to your point about, you know, when they're back on the other side, um, but yeah, that Gunner Helm touchdown specifically is the one that, you know, and I think a couple of years ago, I'm trying to think of, because last year, almost all the big touchdowns, I think besides the Bijan run, were scored on the Texas side. Um, and man, that cannon, I'm always right there by the cannon, or at least last year I was because the Texas, um, the, I'm trying to be on the Texas sideline if I can. Um, I actually switched this year because there were just so many other photographers and journalists down there. Um, and they were doing like the, Pat McAfee's dude dudes were doing their like alternate broadcast. So I was just trying to be like as far away from all that as I could, but I was right by the cannon for a few. And that's like, I tell myself every year, if I'm by the cannon, I know like, okay, they might score a touchdown here. They're going to do it as soon as the dude gets in the end zone. And my shot still goes for like two seconds. There's like a, cause it's just like right in your ear. I mean, it's closer than it is at the UT games. Cause they're just whatever with that, how they have it set up. There's just less space. I guess they put yeah. it closer to the field, but there is, there's nothing like that. Like you go back to the Gunner Helm touchdown and it just right behind you, you're expecting this huge cheer. And then you're like, wait, it's all the way on the other end of the field. And you just turn around and I'm like, ah, sad OU fans, <laughs> cutaways of sad OU fans there. But that, that is really the game that there's, there's just nothing like it, you know, cause, cause of that split. And I know that's what everyone talks about, but it's, it's the truth. Well, the Canon, I'm glad you mentioned the cannon. Texas fans don't like when I talk about the cannon, but I'm kind of like a dog when it comes to loud noises like that. I don't like fireworks. Lawnmowers and vacuum cleaners freak me out. I freaking hate that cannon, man. Sorry, fire the cannon ladies on Wednesday afternoons from 3 to 5. Love y'all show, but the cannon itself, I would love to see it done away with. And the added difficulty of being near the cannon at Texas OU is the cannon will fire off at random times. It's not yes. just touchdowns that they fire that cannon off. They'll fire it off when it's a big first down pickup or the defense makes a big play. It's like they have extra liberties to fire that cannon off during games. And it's just noise pollution to me. Let's get rid of the cannon. Let's find something else there. I don't need the cannon firing off during games anymore. This is not 1958. Yeah, we were talking about that a um, couple of us down there when it snuck up on us. Like, I think they did it. Do they always do it after a touchback? So they did it after like a big touchback and I like about like dropped my camera on the ground. Um, but yeah, they're just like different times where you're totally not expecting it. Like I was saying about the touchdown, at least you can really expect it on the touchdown. You're like, okay, they're driving they're about to score. You know, what's going to happen. It's still loud as hell and like hurt your ears, but you can kind of expect like, okay, if they get in, I know this is going to happen. The one got me was, um, oh, you, I always forget the, oh, you like little like scatter guns that they have. They do like the, bah, 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 and that, that scared the shit out of me a couple times. Oh, I don't even remember those. Yeah. Like, I don't know what they're, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what their people are called down there. They're down there on the OU side and they're actually from a photographer's standpoint, annoyingly close to the end line in the end zone. So I'm always trying to like see ahead, like, okay, if Texas scores a long touchdown, like if I turn, are these like goons? in their OU garb going to be in my way. Um, and 
honestly, almost inevitably, they they are. I know I complained to you. I think I complained to you about the Alabama game, that being like one of the worst places I've shot where just like so close to the field and people walking in front of you, the Cotton Bowl. And just because of that game, they, you know, and I get it. Like it's, I, I accept it. It is what it is at that game. But there are so many freaking people down on the sideline for that game, whether it's like the Cannon people for UT, the flag guys for UT, um, all OU's people, you know, all the sideline passes they give out to celebs and rich people, donors, who, whoever those people are down there. It's just like so freaking crowded. Yeah. And even though there's a little bit of room on the Texas end beyond the end zone, like that all goes to the band now because yeah. it's trying to maximize seats for fans too. So it's not, there's not a ton of room beyond the field of play before you get to the stands on top of the fact that there's just a, uh, that many more people on the field watching the game too. Like they showed, I feel like at one point during the game on Saturday on the big screen, I'm sure they showed this on the ABC broadcast too. Like Matthew McConaughey was down there standing next to Chris Del Conte. Yeah. So you have people like that who are on the sidelines to go along with all the other folks who have been accredited to, uh, to be down on the sidelines, either if they're a part of the whatever random cheer group, accredited media, of course, or just, other assorted people down there yeah oh so we're getting i'm we're getting an answer here on the ou the ou spirit people down there with the little guns they're called the roughnecks thank you mark i know that jake also asking if i need an intern (laughs) someone to get someone to get you coffee (laughs) i'm gonna go get you coffee from the coach's office i'll be right back yeah that didn't sound all that bad that Jake at Harwood Tavern on Friday. Thank you so much for stopping by, Jake. It was a great crowd that showed up for our two to five broadcasts on Friday. Really appreciate everybody who was out there that we got to say hello to, but also anybody who was just uh, watching and or listening on Friday. It was a lot of fun and certainly not the last time we plan on being in Dallas for Texas OU weekend. Even though this is our first year to be out there as TSU, uh, there was a lot of success. And I think thanks to build on next year as well. Like initially, we tried to get into the Texas X's section for the Saturday broadcast, but we ended up just on the fairgrounds. But that was awesome. We were really close to Big Tex. And not only were there a bunch of Texas people walking by, but a bunch of OU folks walking by too. And of course, the sanctity of Texas sports unfiltered is the unfiltered (laughs) element of things. There's no better time to be unfiltered, Jeff, than when you have a bunch of uh, Oklahoma people walking by, flashing the horns down that you can, in so many words, tell to fuck off. That sounds like enough words. Yeah, fuck off are good words, but where, uh, we also can get more creative with it too. But sometimes fuck off does work. So where where specifically were you guys, Trey? Right, dude? right in front of old mill of the old mill. Oh, okay. Because I kind yeah. of uh, that the media entrance is like where the tunnel where they come down. Like anybody who has like a, a yeah. sideline pass and all that, they can go down. Um, they walk down through the tunnel. And man, that's another thing again that everyone talks about with this rivalry, but. The tunnel is such a badass element of this, of the teams yeah. both walking into the same tunnel and then each going to their individual sides after that. One of the cooler things, like kind of behind the scenes things that I saw, um, where I mean, I didn't have my camera rolling or anything like that. I was just sitting in the tunnel, like maybe with 15 minutes left, when the teams come back in for warmups and the amount of shit talk that you hear in there. I mean, I couldn't even like make out specifically what was being said. But just just guys like going back and forth, like um, essentially just saying, you know, to the effect of like, 
I'm going to like make your life hell for 60 minutes. Like, you know, it's going to be a long day for y'all. Just the, just the back and forth of that game, which from a media standpoint is so much, I, I understand why they don't say anything the week of and Venables for that specific reason, basically said he, he well, he only made four players available before the, here's my, my mini media rant here. He made four players available going into the game, which I guess maybe they make more players available than that. And he essentially said, like, he was asked about it and was like, yeah, because I feel like it's a gotcha week. And he was sort of laughing about it when he said it. It's like, these guys, like, I get that to an extent, but then, like, you also have these guys, like, like Jalen Ford Sunday night, which, again, nothing wrong with this. He should posted like, it's whatever time it was, and, you know, all the fans, oh, you still sucks. Like, no. like, this is the week where, as long as you're not taking personal shots at people, yes, you should be saying, oh, you sucks. You should be saying, we hate these guys. You should be playing with, and Sark talked about that too in the lead up, and I'm sure Venables did, of controlling that emotion a little bit. But I just find it funny when I see that in the tunnel, and then all week before they were like, nah, 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 it's just it's the next game on the schedule, and we respect those guys. It's fun rivalry, you know, it's big stage, national spotlight. <laughs> and then you see these guys basically about to like get into it before the game. And it's like, I don't know. I just I just find that a, a funny part of the job with 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 media not, not just local with you know i'm sure the national people would say the same thing no i love the side notes to that it's something that i wouldn't have uh, ever even thought about so i appreciate you bringing that to the table by the way seth complaining about the can of the most tray thing ever ridiculous <laughs> yeah you're probably right about that but again i hate vacuum cleaners i hate lawnmowers i hate fireworks because of the noise pollution i think i may have some sort of oral sensitivity that unfortunately, that shitty ass cannon also triggers in me. So you're welcome, Seth. Jeff, pleasure meeting you and your wife at y'all's table on Friday. We really appreciate y'all stopping by. Look like y'all are really enjoying some food and beverage at Harwood Tavern. That was a great spot too, by the way. My buddy lives like less than a mile away from there. And I asked him about that. He's like, oh, I've been, I've driven by that place. I walked by it before. I've never actually been in. I'm like, you should check it out. It is a cool place to watch games. Just Go and hang out with your friends. So I uh, highly recommend anybody listening in Dallas who's going to be in downtown Dallas. Go check Harwood Tavern out. By the way, there are Texas people there too. So uh, go hang out with uh, with some of your own. And then, boy, David Brownburner has been trying to let Quinn Ewers have it on the YouTube comments line over the last 15 minutes or so. Uh, he is basically saying that uh, Quinn Ewers is Case McCoy with weapons. Malik is a weapon that can play with weapons, while Ewers is Case McCoy with weapons. David, that is ridiculous. Quinn Ewers has been good for this football team this year. Granted, he did turn the ball over three times on Saturday. He also put up pretty darn good stats, too. And while the turnovers did not help this team out and were part of the reason why Texas lost, Quinn Ewers was not even close to the biggest reason why this team lost this game on saturday i would argue that the coaches were a much bigger reason why this team cost the game than any one player um i'm <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i don't say i'm not saying i agree with it but case mccoy with weapons is i don't know that that made me laugh yeah case mccoy with <laughs> weapons is uh is what quinn ewers is according to david Brownburner. hey bad case take there bad take so, dude old sidearm slinging case mccoy had a had a nice win the the, the case mccoy marcus johnson year Oh yeah, he had a win against OU. That was one of those years where Texas fans went in there with no expectations. They went in lubed up and just ready to cheer their team on until halftime when everybody would leave. 
And uh, that was uh, that was not what happened that day. And Oklahoma now has one of those too, because even though Oklahoma fans felt better about things, I didn't feel since the sun a ton of confidence that they were going to win this game. Not as bad as last year, of course, but ultimately they did. So credit to them on that one. Trey, you should have let me buy you a fire and ice shot. I appreciate the offer, Jake. You were at Harwood Tavern on Friday. I would not have taken the fire and ice shot, though. I was not what is that? doing shots. As a matter of fact, BK's dad, I think, bought tequila shots for people uh, during our broadcast. Thankfully, I was off mic at that point, so I didn't have to puke into my own mouth after I tried a tequila shot. That's just uh, one of those things that was not going to go down. What's a fire and ice shot? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that's fire, something that I, my guess is fireball and um, I don't know, maybe like cinnamon schnapps or something. Is there is, is there one? I mean, maybe you just said it's tequila. Is there one shot that you just like can't do, Trey? I can normally do tequila. It's just this weekend I was not feeling drinking liquor like I had some beer at the fair. We had uh, the, the state fair breakfast, Jeff. On Saturday morning before and then after the broadcast, too, which is a Fletcher's corn dog and a Shiner Bach. But, um, yeah, I normally like tequila shots. Malort is delicious. I think those are shots that I'm not crazy about. It's probably something in the whiskey family. Whiskey, bourbon, something like that. It's just that I've had too many bad experiences with those things over the years to where it just uh, it brings up bad memories and some vomit, too. (laughs) Uh, that's how I am with gin. Uh, Jake, Jake just clarified for us. Fire supplements. That sounds disgusting. See, gin is my drink. Oh. It's my mixed drink. I will not do a gin shot though. Gin shooting gin is not a good idea. No. Hey, so so uh, CV says wasn't there fried fireball shots there? So what? That was a. Uh, and again, I'm sure there's a lot. Of, I haven't done my share of. I've done corny dog most years and all that. That's kind of the you know I have the classic tradition like a lot of people there. Um, unfortunately, I can't do the beer before I'm out on the yeah. sideline for. I mean, I, I probably could, and it wouldn't be a big deal. But I just choose choose not to. The corny dogs enough, but um, but yeah, the fried fireball shot was something that everybody was talking about. And wasn't it just a shot of fireball and like a French toast stick? That's exactly what it was. Because so you shoot guy, the fireball and the French toast stick is just your chaser. Our guy Brock, who helps produce the live broadcasts. I sent him out with some tickets to get the fireball shot, and that's what it was. It, like I've seen, I've seen beverages that are deep fried, that are state fair finalists that are actually like it's like a ball of fried dough that has the liquid in there. Or so what is the reason? What's that? No, so I just need I need like a, a rundown here. Like the liquid like stays intact. Like I don't get it. Apparently so. Like there was a uh, a margarita a few years ago that stayed intact. Yeah, it, d- it doesn't sound good. There there are yeah. certain things that get created for the state fair that are award winners. Where it's like, I guess I get the creativity, but that sounds disgusting. Right, and like especially with the margarita, there's nothing wrong with the margarita. Like I'm fine with I'm fine with souping up a fireball shot because I think fireball is disgusting. But there. Not, not, we don't need to do anything to a margarita. Fine, just the way it is. Yeah, well, I agree with that. So we end up sending Brock out to find fried fireball shots. It took him like 45 minutes to go to find these shots. Well, he eventually did. He comes back with it, and it's a little plastic shot glass with fireball. And like you said, a tiny cinnamon stick that's just been soaking in this fireball shot. And it was offered up to me, and I gave it to BK, who thankfully took it. And it 
like according to BK's reaction and what he had to say after the fact, it was disgusting. Like the fireball shot is one thing, but the cinnamon stick being soaked in fireball, it didn't have like a cinnamon toast crunch flavor after that. It just tasted like a cinnamon stick soaked in fireball. Not, not like, um, I don't know if they did this when you were, when you were in college, Trey, but like you'd go to a party and they would have like the gummy bears or the gummy worms that have like been soaking in vodka all day, or they would do that with like watermelon too, you know, like maybe a fruit or a gummy like that actually is good because then it becomes like, I mean, kind of like a mini jello shot almost. And those, those can be dangerous because you have, you have no idea how much alcohol is being soaked up in that gummy bear over 24 hours. It's like, it's like cannabis gummies. It's like, you better, you think you know how much you're taking in, but you just better be ready for, for that to be off and to deal with the consequences as a result too. Yeah. <laughs> Jake says, sounds like a way less good version of a breakfast shot. Those are solid. I, I do love a good breakfast shot. Because the bacon actually is a good chaser. <laughs> Joe said it turned into cinnamon toast puke. Thank you, Joe. Cinnamon <laughs> toast puke is a good way to uh, describe it, according to BK and now uh, Joe. Jake says, yeah, sounds like a, what is a breakfast shot? It's like, uh, I think some, they can correct me if I'm off here, but I think it's like some whiskey and then a little bit of orange juice, maybe, or like orange juice and uh, a piece of like a bite of bacon, I think is a breakfast shot. Well, you put like a little bacon crisp in there? It's like a, on the outside, like almost like you would do on like a Bloody Mary, like right, they would put like, you know, I think they put some olives or a piece of bacon in there or something. Uh, I think it's like that. And then you like bite the bacon off. My my wonderful fiance trying to uh, in, impress me back in the day, we would go to brunch over at the park on South Lamar. Oh, yeah. And she would, it's like the running joke with her and our friends. Like she's like the one that's like, let's take shots. I'm like, you know, all right, well, you know, breakfast shot, breakfast shot sounds good because I'm not going to do like fireball at, you know, 1030 in the morning at brunch. I, yeah, I don't understand the, uh, the looking to get loaded like that at 1030, 10 o'clock, nine, nine thirty. Now there, I guess Texas OU is the exception. You do what you have to there, but even for Texas OU, those 11 AM games, I, I'm never really finding myself taking shots of liquor. That just doesn't seem like it's going to end well for me if I do that. I'll drink beer. I'm not normally drinking beer first thing in the morning, even for 11 a.m. games for Texas. That is an exception for me, and I guess the novelty of the fried fireball shot is one thing, but I'm staying away from the hard liquor first thing in the morning. Yeah, are, are you? Are you? So you're not a Bloody Mary guy? No, not really. Like if yeah, I'm doing, I, I, style, I think they're gross. If I'm doing a style of drink like that, it's going to be a michelada which is beer. So no, it's not, it's not vodka. I just, I know what happens to me if I start consuming alcohol first thing in the morning, beer or liquor, but especially liquor, it means that I'm, I'm having to take a nap at like one o'clock in the afternoon. Otherwise you're just going to get a really bad version of me until I finally decide to go to bed at night. Uh, well, that that's just your age, Trey. I mean, me too. Like once you're out of college, I feel like there's something about just the energy and also the youth of being in college where you can do like, like these kids that uh, you don't really see it at UT that much, but like, you know, at Cameron maybe for like a Duke UNC game or heck even like tech was, was doing it like before beard. I don't know if it was before beard came back. They were doing it for some of the tech basketball games and they were really good while beard was there. Like where they camp out the night before and clearly are not getting any like decent sleep. They're getting hammered and then they're waking up and just like staying hammered like all day. 
and then the energy at the game. I'm like, I, I don't know. It must just be the uh, the vibe of college that just facilitates that kind of degeneracy. Yeah, that's just called being a student at Texas Tech. I would know because I was one for a year and a half. Somehow made good grades despite the fact that it's real where I really learned how to drink. Now, Kevin and I were talking about this yesterday. Like, it's not a shot at anybody who is drinking a lot of liquor first thing in the morning. Well, I guess maybe it depends on the day. But, like, before Texas OU, like, like if that's how you want to go about things, great. I just know how that will affect me. But I know people my age who are still doing that for Texas OU Saturdays. And it's like, good luck. Like, I hope you can, I hope you can handle it. Okay. You probably can, if you're making this decision right now, but my guess, because in your forties, you obviously aren't nearly as resilient when it comes to boozing. You're going to be paying a price for a couple of days afterwards. If you're starting to drink, drink liquor at seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that yeah. To me, that's got to be like I can't remember what they call the like a, a vodka vodka orange juice screwdriver. I think that's that's the only way I could possibly do that. But yeah, for for these games at least, I don't know, maybe maybe one day if I don't have my current gig anymore, then I'll 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 give that a try and report back. So as a student, did you ever? Oh you yeah. Okay. But we never like the atmosphere was so bad, like from a student standpoint, when I was at UT, I was there 11 to 15. So we never like camped out or anything like that. Like we would like party the night before and then just get up like at nine and maybe go tailgate or maybe just like waltz into the stadium. Right. Because this was way like pre it wasn't that long ago, but it was pre all these kind of Bevo Boulevard and students you know the the um first come first serve student got a lineup to get in to get into the game deal well specifically with beer sales in the stadium i don't feel like that even started in the cotton bowl until like the last five or six years maybe so that would have been after you were a student at ut going to the game at the cotton bowl yeah well i don't know maybe this says a lot about my uh college years. i don't even remember like in the stadium for those games. I maybe I remember it kind of being there, but a couple of the games I was doing like student journalism and stuff, but the two that I went to, I'm like, yeah, I can't even remember like what we did before besides just get loaded, I guess. I don't Hopefully know. The two that you went to as a student were the 2013 and 2015 games. Hopefully it was the Case McCoy and Gerard Hurd games. Yes. Um, I definitely remember the Case, the Case McCoy game where – I just like the, the the play that stands out to me from that game is the uh, Marcus Johnson down the sideline. Yep. And those two just going off. And yeah, I, I remember not expecting UT to do jack shit in that game and then being pleasantly surprised. So the Texas linebackers were really exploited by Oklahoma on Saturday, which isn't total, totally surprising, I guess, out of David Benda. The guy that was really surprising to see how he played was Jalen Ford, though. I think this is far and away the worst game that he's played as a starter. Did you gain any insight as to uh, to what happened with Jalen Ford in talking with either Steve Sarkeesian or the players after the game? Because he was unfortunately a net negative for the defense a couple days ago. Yeah, not not specifically. I mean, they were pretty they were pretty basic on the answers afterwards, and you know, very sportsmanlike and complimentary of OU and Gabriel played well and all that. I mean. I was pretty disappointed and pretty surprised by just the overall 
lack of ability to corral Gabriel on the ground. I mean, especially, and I know his passing threat and his experience is significantly more than, you know, what they faced when they faced Milrow, but it's not the first scrambling quarterback they faced. Like they, they held Milrow in check pretty well, but again, maybe that's just because they really didn't respect his arm and ability. I know he had the one long touchdown pass to Jermaine Burton in that game, but, but they didn't respect probably his ability to, carve them up play in and play out you know and said may hey maybe we'll give up a big play or two like that but you know the job they did on him on the road like in that environment and i know again way he was making his third start so completely different than gabriel but for sure a, a better athlete gabriel just a better quarterback though and you mentioned specifically the linebackers the play that i saw when i watched back that was really disappointing and again they this was the long Gabriel run um, in the fourth quarter that led to the one of the worst field goals I've ever seen in my life from the OU kicker where he just totally shanked it. So they didn't get points off of it. But going back to what we talked about earlier, that still, it affects time on the clock. It affects field position. It affects all those other things versus if you get a stop and then, you know, there's more time on the clock or maybe a good punt return or something. But on that play, uh, Jalen Ford took one of the worst angles I've ever seen when the whole, you know, giant hole right there, Gabriel runs right through it. And then he kind of cuts back and he just put forward on skates. I mean, he made him look silly on that. And then he burst down and they finally got him down, you know what, you know, uh, 25, 30 yards down the field. But yeah, I think that was, that was really disappointing overall. And then also on the last play, this was probably the most insight I think we got on the last play where Nick Anderson found himself wide open in the end zone and Gabriel hit him for the game winner was they brought him in motion and um, Benda, David Benda said after the game, I mean, he took complete ownership. He said that was a total miscommunication between him and Jaron Thompson. And I think you could kind of see like maybe Benda thought that he was, they were transferring responsibility over to, he was supposed to have, um, he was basically transitioning him over to now Thompson's supposed to have him. And I don't think Thompson really thought that or realized that until he was in the back of the end zone. And, and Benda, you know, as one of the senior linebackers there, he, he took, he took responsibility and who knows, again, you never post game, like a leader like that's always going to take responsibility. It's kind of like a quarterback on the other side of the ball. So I don't know whose responsibility that truly was, but that was clearly a massive and, you know, eventually catastrophic miscommunication for them. So just all those little things where that last drive too, just getting carved up like that, man, Gabriel on the run to stoops. That to me was probably one of the bigger backbreakers where they just couldn't get that big stop on that drive. And it almost was like they were playing prevent and Trey, I don't know if you, you noticed this too, but just really zero pass rush the entire game. It wasn't even like they were rushing him and then Gabriel was just making plays off of that. Like at no point did they ever, I think they just thought the whole time they were going to get pressure, bringing three or four and they never did. Let you let me go. There we oh. go. I had my uh, mic muted there. Apologies. I, I am uh, very surprised by the lack of pressure by the defensive line throughout the course of Saturday, too. I predicted before the game that the defensive line would show up like we saw what they did versus Alabama, and unfortunately, it never really happened. Now, 
I do believe, and look, I'm not making an excuse or saying this is the biggest reason why this team lost the game. There are lots of reasons that we have and we'll continue to talk about that have nothing to do with this, but the refs were swallowing their whistles at times that I think was having more of a negative impact on Texas than it was Oklahoma, specifically with what the OU offensive line was allowed to get away with and keeping the Texas defensive line at bay. And then also some holding calls out on the perimeter too, where they were letting the OU receivers get away with murder. And there was also a a moment where the OU defensive back clearly committed pass interference on the Texas receiver, wasn't called. I think there was maybe a punt after that or something. But uh, even still, the Texas defensive line did not have a good game plan. They needed to try something different versus uh, just continuing to bull rush the guys in front of them and line too many guys up on the outside uh, to try and get after Dylan Gabriel because all that was doing was letting Dylan Gabriel know, okay, well, I need I need to stand back here for a second and a half, and all of a sudden I'm going to have room to run in front of me because Texas is a man coverage right now, so the DBs are turning their backs on me and the linebackers are turning their backs or a linebacker is getting sucked into the line of scrimmage, and I'm going to have room to run for days. And that's ultimately what happened, unfortunately. I don't think the Texas defensive line played a terrible game, but for a unit that is supposed to be one of the best in the country, they did not show up nearly as big as they needed to a couple days ago. Well, I think the only sack that they had was the one early in the game where Anthony Hill basically chased, I mean, it was a good play. He chased Gabriel out of bounds for like a one or two yard loss and he got credited for a sack on that. But, you know, CB says, he says he hadn't seen the defense look this bad since 2021. And after the game, that's that's something that we kind of talked about was it almost felt like what PK did in year one when he got a lot of criticism. And again, there was criticism abound that year, obviously, as we know, in any five and seven season. But it was year one and they were getting the system down. We've seen huge improvements since then. But it did. I agree. It felt like that a little bit in a way where I think he did that a lot two years ago where it was like, like, dude, are you even going to try to bring pressure? They're like, you know, because one of the narratives around the defense that year is that we can't get enough pressure. We're not getting enough sacks, getting those numbers up and all that. And I, you know, I kind of felt like in 2021, we're like, he almost wasn't even trying. It was like, uh, oh, we're just going to do this and hope the secondary plays well. And, you know, maybe just kind of play to the strengths of the defense and be bend, but don't break. But you have the guys, you have the dudes up front. You and I have talked about in the first couple of shows we've done this every week, we were talking about how it was a different pass rusher or defensive tackle, somebody, a linebacker, whatever, that played their best game and that really stepped up and was the star on that side of the ball. And this this week, you really can't point to anybody. I mean, I really Jay can't point Barron, to... Barron is probably the closest, but even he was somewhat neutralized in the second half. Yeah, and then, I mean, I thought, uh, and again, maybe just because he's a f- true freshman and the expectation's a little lower, but, I mean, Anthony Hill was all over the place again. Oh, yeah, Derek Williams. I mean... Anthony Hill was all over the place. He was actually getting more, a little bit more run at traditional linebacker, which I think is a testament to him continuing to grow on the job, uh, that they were trusting him in that situation. He uh, gave them the results that they were looking for too. But overall, it was just a, a poor effort across the board. All three, lever, uh, all three levels had busts at times. And we talked about Ryan Watts possibly missing the game last week, which he did miss the game. And it sounds like he's got a, a lower body injury that may keep him out. Well, it's fortunate that you have a bye week this week because otherwise he would probably be missing this week too. So the Houston game is up in the air right now. But that was a big loss because he is a guy that while he's maybe suspect in coverage at times, 
He's also the most physical cornerback that you have, and they needed a little bit more physicality out on the perimeter at times, even if the Oklahoma receivers were getting away with holds at times. Ryan Watts is the sort of guy that will make a receiver think twice about uh, catching the ball and running up the field. To catch the ball part may become difficult when a guy like Ryan Watts is uh, immediately hitting you as the ball is coming into your hands. And he he gives them length on the outside, too, yeah. that that I don't I don't think they had and that they probably needed. No, not that, you know, there were a couple of deep balls that Gabriel hit. I mean, he was just more, he was just more surgical with the way that he was tearing them apart. It was a lot of, uh, I don't even want to call it dink and dunk, but just shorter, more inner, short to intermediate passing game. And then obviously the scrambling set a lot up. Um, but yeah, just disappointing game for this defense, man. I mean, we expected a lot of them through five games, but I think there were a lot of Texas fans that, you know, we're being realistic through five games that in the back of their minds said, okay, we got to see what happens when we actually play a team with a really, really good quarterback. And, you know, through five games, they played journeyman JT Daniels with rice playmakers around him in the opener at home. Like they played Jalen Milrow making his third career start. Mm, okay. And then they basically played, I think they only played backup quarterbacks after that. Right. I mean, they yeah. played uh, the Wyoming backup quarterback. They faced Jason Bean. Um, and then they faced Sawyer Robertson. When, you know, Blake Shapin missed that game at Baylor. So I think we finally saw that this defense still has, I think, all the pieces to be a really, really good defense, potentially be a great defense. But we saw for the first time what happens when they faced a really experienced quarterback who, who look, played his ass off. The guy played the game of his life. I mean, that was a legendary legacy game for him. You mentioned earlier, Trey, you had OU people you talked to that were wishy-washy on him. He was kind of split, and then uh, he he had the game of his life. I mean, at a certain point, you know, you got to, like, got to tip your cap, too. Yeah, uh, Dylan Gabriel should not uh, not be receiving any criticism from Sooner fans. Maybe if, he, if his play slips the rest of the way, great, but... Uh, some of you folks who are taking him for granted need to uh, recognize that uh, you've got another really good player at that position. And by the way, for those suggesting that he's not on Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts level because he's not a Heisman winner or Heisman finalist, he's in that conversation right now. His Heisman odds, I think, are top four in the yeah. country right now, which would obviously put him in New York City. So he has played his way into that same group of guys and because Oklahoma's schedule is pretty embarrassing the rest of the way in terms of a, uh, a lack of legitimate tests that you're going to be facing most weeks, there's a good chance that Oklahoma is playing for a spot in the college football playoff. If they went out and faced Texas again, or somebody else in that big 12 championship game in early December. Updated Heisman odds. Yeah. Not really surprising. Michael Penix, Caleb Williams, they're both right around the two to one range. Okay. Um, Bo Nix, six to one. Dylan Gabriel, right around twelve to run, twelve to one. Jordan Travis, Drake, Drake May, and then Quinn, Quinn and JJ McCarthy are about thirty-three to one right now. Surprise, JJ McCarthy's not a little bit higher there. But you said Penix, Caleb Williams, who was third? Um, third on that list was. Bo Nix. Bo Nix and then Dylan Gabriel after that. So if that's how it is, 
after that last regular season game, then guess what? Dylan Gabriel is going to be in New York City for the Heisman ceremony. Yeah. Oh, I mean, and again, from the Texas side, too, of, you know, a little bit of a glass half full, we've seen teams lose this game, specifically two, we've seen two OU teams over the last 15 years lose this game and then play either in the playoff or the BCS National Championship game. Right. 2018, Sam Ellinger and Texas take the golden hat um, in October, and then Kyler Murray and Lincoln get their revenge, and then they go on to lose to Alabama in the college football playoff in the semifinals. And then in, I think it was 2008, where OU lost to Florida, I think, in the BCS championship game, ended up, they lost to Texas in the Cotton Bowl, and then went on, and, you know, that was before it was just, we take the two best teams, so they couldn't meet again. I think they beat, I looked the other, I looked yesterday, I think they beat Mizzou, like, that year in the Big 12 championship game were 12 and one and then went on to lose the the Tebow Florida team in the national championship game. Why did so, the play for a big 12 championship that year? Cause Texas beat them, but lost to Texas tech. Was there a three-way tie or something? And they no, got- I think, uh, wasn't, um, yeah. Wait, Texas. Am I, am I, do I have the years right on that? 2008, right? Yeah, because Texas yeah. lost to Texas Tech that year. That was the Crabtree year. Oh, yeah, yeah, and They were and barely that, outside looking in because it, they did take Oklahoma and Florida. That's when Urban Meyer won that national championship of Florida. Yeah, no, and that makes sense, yeah, because Texas lost. The, it was the Crabtree game at Tech, so they each would have had one Big 12 loss. And then, like we said back then, and you know they would take from the two divisions. Yeah, so. it was a three-way tie that year, and Texas got screwed. yeah. Well, I mean, OU had the head to head, right? I mean, what was the three way? Was Tech the other one? I don't, I don't remember Big Twelve that deep that year. I don't remember, but that was Big Twelve North and Big Twelve South, and I think there was a three way tie in the Big Twelve South. Tech might have been the other team. Yeah, I don't know. This is kind of random, but I mean, do you like? I know there's fewer teams, so it's easier to do this way. But I personally like the you just take the two best teams, even though tiebreakers can get kind of crazy. I just like, cause I think that year, like Texas and OU should have played again in the big 12 championship game. Yeah. Or, or do you, are you a fan of the divisions? No, I'm much, a much bigger fan of taking the two best teams. I think it's a bit of a cop out and I understand why it was done for a while, but I also think it's a little bit of a cop out not to have your two best teams play at the end of the year. It's yeah. Like and I mean, Texas, won the national championship in 2005. Colorado had no business playing Texas in the Big 12 championship game that year. Yeah, and we've seen it in the SEC too, whether it was, what was it, Alabama, Mizzou, some of those years where you're like, why are we Yeah, why are we even doing this, guys? Fortunately, realignment, for all the criticism that people lob at realignment, one of the benefits of realignment is these conferences becoming so big now that they are being forced to pair their two best teams up at the end of the year. I wouldn't be surprised at some point, especially if the SEC and Big Ten gain more control over what happens in the postseason. And maybe they end up rubbing the ACC and the Big 12 and all the G5 conferences out of a postseason playoff. If we don't see a conference tournament with the winners, the two winners of of the big tw- or the uh, SEC and Big Ten conference tournaments meeting for a national championship. Hmm. Yeah. So basically, the NFL. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those are those are the two conferences exactly. Yeah. The AFC, AFC, NFC. NFC. 
Yeah. So that's uh, a a girl can dream, and that's what my dream is right now. Get leave everybody else out except the SEC and the Big Ten. Uh, yeah, SEC and Big Ten. Allow the SEC and Big Ten to play to schedule some of those non-SEC or Big Ten schools in non-conference play. But yeah, play a 12-game regular season, have an eight-team conference tournament, and then at the end of that eight-team conference tournament, each of the winners plays for a national championship. It's very simple. For yeah, for me, I mean, I probably haven't put as much, and you've even joked about how much thought you've put into <laughs> the realignment of college football and the big picture and the national scene and all that. I've thought about it here and there, but like at the end of the day, my vote is just for what gives me the best football to watch. Yeah. You know, as a consumer, like there's still going to be tradition in college football. I feel like people lose their minds about things changing. Well, back way back when, when college football, college football was at its finest, you know, and back in the day, like we, we weren't even getting like a true national championship game. It was, wasn't it basically like, Oh, if the bowl game aligns with the one and two teams, that's great. You know, and otherwise it would came down to whatever the hell. Then you had all these teams claiming national championships. I mean, at least now you can complain all you want about this team gets screwed. That team got screwed. Well, at the end of the day, we have one team that won the freaking national championship and however hundred something other FBS programs that did not. And to me, that's better than what it was way back in the day. Speaking of the pageantry in college football, one of the reasons why I love the Texas OU game, and I'm reminded of this each and every year, and I always forget to talk about it on the air. So we're going to get this take right now, Jeff, hot off the presses. Let's go. The pageantry in college football has been subdued in the last few years as programs have really upgraded their stadiums, including the audio video element and the lighting element of things to where in between plays now at DKR, you get some band and some cheers back and forth, but it's a lot of really loud music to get the crowd fired up. Too loud, in my opinion. Yes, I'm going old man screaming at the clouds once again, but this is where we are. The music is on, folks. Loud. I'm sorry it is. I value my hearing, and if I don't plug my ears, the music is going to blow tones out of my ears, tones that I will no longer hear. And the same thing's going to happen to you if you attend enough UT games in person. Texas OU, they don't have the luxury of piping in music, so you get more of that natural pageantry. The Boomer, the Sooner, the Texas, the fights, uh, the the bands playing the fight song over and over again. Yeah, Boomer Sooner gets really old to hear for the thousandth time. I completely understand that, but I love how you get a return to that old school pageantry with that game each and every year, in part because the Cotton Bowl is not a home field site. It is that neutral field site that maybe doesn't have the uh, the souped up audio video presentation that uh, that the home stadiums do for each of these two schools. All right, how about this, Trey? They get rid of all the music and all that, or they turn it down. But you got it. You got to keep the cannon. The cannon is going to be there regardless. So if you turn the music <laughs> yeah, down, maybe play the music less and allow more of the natural cheers with the cheerleaders doing what their position suggests that they do, and that's leading more cheers. Yeah. And also allow the fans to, to do the da 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 easy A, or fucking A, kick some ass, Texas, right. 
or just a this half of the stadium, Texas, this half the stadium fight. It's you very know? simple. It's very but simple. I think, and maybe a lot of what's happened too is, um, and I, I don't know, like at least as long as I've been here and I've been down there for the games, like seeing how, you know, because everyone else watching at home, you're just watching commercials during a TV timeout, obviously. So I think it's that those all the time, the dude in the red polo, like is there anybody that, that – Everybody at the stadium collectively hates more than the poor guy. I hope he gets paid a lot that has to walk out with the freaking ugly ass red polo and hold up the three minutes and whatever on the clock. And it's just ticking down and you're all just sitting there like, come on. So I think maybe in the defense of kind of the people that are tasked with building the atmosphere at these games, maybe it's just, Hey, this is what we got to do. We got to find a way to fill this time. Like, I think that's definitely that definitely has something to do with it of, um, you know, just trying to fill fill that space a little bit. But I, I, I agree with you. It's instead of just the natural kind of cheerleaders, Texas, fight, this, that, whatever, the band playing something, it's just turned into a lot of like kind of pomp and circumstance and flashy different things. Like, I have no issues with the light show, but that's basically what the light show is. College football games have turned into NBA games, and that's not a good thing. That's actually a bad thing because it, it kind of spoils the sanctity of the sport. And one of the novelties that I think has separated the sport from the NFL for a long time. And, and while we see college football move in a direction that makes it more like the NFL, that is a quality of the sport that I do think makes it special. And part of what makes that game day experience so enjoyable too. Like people who only watch games on television They'll hear what I'm saying right now, and it won't make that big of a deal to them one way or the other. I get that. Right, because like I said, they'll just be watching the commercials. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're watching commercials, or maybe you started the game 20 minutes late, and you're staying off of Twitter so you can play catch-up, which is not a bad strategy these days, especially with how long commercial breaks are. Or the better strategy if you're at home, which I'll probably have to do when I'm watching the Raiders game today, is get up and get your 14th beer. I mean, look, you are you are playing a game that I don't think anybody outside of Green Bay or Vegas slash Oakland slash L.A. cares about unless there are fantasy football implications. And unfortunately for me, I have to root against Jacoby Myers tonight because I need him to score less than seven total points to win my matchup this week, despite the fact that I have Justin Fields at quarterback and DJ Moore as one of my wide receivers. That's right, a 100-point advantage coming out of the Thursday game, and I may very well lose this game unless Jacoby Myers scores less than seven points. Yeah, I, I would I would bet that uh, he's probably going to score more than seven points. Is it PPR? It is half PPR. You've got a chance then if you keep him out of the end zone. Right. Like for, a, for like a three-catch... 40 yard game or something like that where if that was ppr you'd get screwed do you see that you see that last comment we're getting called out for being old men yeah look i'm 45 i get it i I get into public confirmation uh, confrontation c note i i have accepted my status as a as old guy who bitches about things but it's who i am and i think it's entertaining to some of you people yeah i know you're right if if it's a if it's a full ppr league then i'd be completely screwed i have a chance he's been good in two of three games this year i believe Two of the three games that he's played this year, he has been good. The one game that he wasn't good, he had something like four total points or what would have been four points in the league that I'm talking about right now. So I just need, I don't know, I just need this to be a grounded, grinded out affair and I need Jimmy Garoppolo to be bad Jimmy Garoppolo. 
You need this to be for Jacoby Myers. You need this to be a uh, Josh Jacobs game. Um, but it's 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 funny that you said that about nobody nobody cares outside of uh, the two fan bases and then fantasy implications because we do reach that point with the NFL almost every season. I don't know if we're quite there yet. It's closer to mid season, but where all of the little things that you're like, if you don't have fantasy implications, you're not a fan that you might watch for. Like in this case, uh, oh yeah, like let's see, uh, I'll see what Jordan Love can do. I'm going to see what like post Rogers looks like. Like even that's kind of wearing off a little bit. You're like, yeah, Jordan Love's fine. He's whatever, you know, but people still might be watching for that. But by like week nine, if they're, you know, I don't know what their buy is or whatever, but if they're like five and four, four and five, like after that week, then, you know, everybody's, everybody else nationally is kind of looking at it going like, yeah, I sort of know what Jordan Love can do. I don't know. Maybe, uh, you know, the wife's going to make me like catch up on a Netflix show tonight or something like that. And then you might tune out and you don't give a shit what Eli and Peyton have to say in their, you know, basement and during that game, or they may, they skip a couple games every year too, where they're like, yeah, no, it's good guys. Cool. Yeah, we're good. All right. We're just going to go hang out somewhere else. You know, it's funny you say that because last night the Cowboys game was so ugly that we actually got to watch the season one finale of Yellow Jackets, which is a really good show if you haven't checked it out yet. And I was I was okay with that. Like I still had the game on on my phone. And so I was keeping an eye that way. But Dallas is getting their asses kicked last night. Like San Francisco proved themselves to be the better team on both sides of the ball. And I think if you're a Cowboys fan right now, you have to be asking yourself legitimate questions about what this team's actual ceiling is because there is a huge gap with where you are and where San Francisco is and probably the Philadelphia Eagles too. And you might even want to throw the Detroit Lions into that uh, that top-tier group in the NFC, as bizarre as that might feel to say. The Detroit Lions are a good football team. They are competitive Despite the fact that they were missing a couple of key guys on offense yesterday, they were still rolling offensively, and that is a defense to be reckoned with, too. Uh, Before we get deeper into some NFL, Trey, you mentioned just flipping over and watching a show. I I can't be the only one that does this almost like negotiation with myself, with the fiancé, soon-to-be wife, where it's like, like she likes football. She's from the Dallas area. Like, you know, she had the Cowboys game on. Like, I got back from work, like, you know, early in the second half and she like had it on. So she was kind of watching probably knew I was coming home too, but I'll do that where I'm like, okay, like let's say I I wasn't, but let's say I was at home when like the Dodgers, like Kershaw gave up like six runs. I would have been like, you know what? I'm going to now punt on this two and a half hours or whatever's left of like sports watching time I have and like try to make myself look good and be like, basically just give her the remote and be like, let's watch a show. Let's watch a movie, babe. Like actually, Oh, you, you, you don't you want to watch the game? Are you sure? No, no. I'd much rather watch a movie with you right now. This is a unite. <laughs> yeah, this is a unite. It's a smart strategy. I completely, I'm completely on board with it. I feel like when you said that, that was your strategy last night. Like it, remind, it just reminded me of what, what I'll do, especially because I don't have traditional time off from work. Yeah. So I have to play that game even a little bit more than some where like I'm not home seven days a week you know, in the evening. Like, so when I get an evening at home, it's like, if the Raiders are down 20 at the half today, like I'm going to, it's a unite. I'm going to steal that. You know what that is for me, Jeff? That is called February until September. (laughs) Cause I'm like, look, I could be watching all these other sports for my job. It would probably serve me well to watch all these other sports. 
but I don't give a damn about these sports. I'm not saying this part out loud. I don't give a damn about these sports, so I'm going to play it up. Like, this is something that could make your life even worse in terms of all the sports that I have to tune into, but I'm going to make this six or so months about you more than I'm going to make it about watching basketball, hockey, baseball, spring football, MLS, Premier League, you know, whatever, whatever other sports you want to throw in there, professional pillow fighting, professional slap fighting, professional cornhole, professional cornhole, UFC is something that a lot of people love. I'm choosing not to watch these other sports because I want to make this off season about you. Right. And because you know, you're a smart man and you know, you are about to enter into a period where you're going to watch an obscene, unhealthy and frankly, disgusting amount of football. And I'm, I'm the same way in the same boat, you know, so you're like in February, as much as I want to see, as much as I want to sit there with a beer and watch number 11 Baylor face number 17 uh, Texas Tech in a, uh, you know, highly contested basketball matchup, Big 12 basketball matchup. No, we're going to we're going to watch something with the wife tonight. You're college, a smart man. Yeah, it helps that college basketball is a shell of itself from 15, 20, 25 years ago. But you're right. If it's like Texas basketball is one of those exceptions where I still will watch most Texas basketball games and the March Madness comes around. But even March Madness, there are stretches of games that aren't that good. Like it's like 10 plus point leads for all four games that are left at the end of the night. I'm not going to stay locked in. I'll keep an eye on scoreboards. But I'm fine at that point turning to the wife and saying, you know what? I get it. It's March Madness. So you know how much this means to me. But let's make it about you right now. Let's watch it. Let's watch a repeat of Glee. Let's watch a repeat of Scrubs. Oh, man. See, I'm, I'm learning. I'm just taking notes here. Yeah. I'm just filing, filing it all away. Exactly. So Jake says college football is a huge part of Americana and a community event. But over the years, it does feel a little less like that. Like, I agree. And even as cool as the Bevo Boulevard concept is, and they nail that each yeah. and every week that there's a home game, it really accentuates the atmosphere around the stadium. It's a bit of a bummer to have lost out on all of the tailgating that was happening south of MLK for so many years before the last couple of years, where unfortunately there just aren't as many parking lots now. And there's just not space to throw those tailgates anymore. You do get the tailgates uh, around the uh, the LBJ library, and that is certainly cool. But there is an aspect of the game day, game day that has changed drastically with regards to pregame, some for the better, some for the worse. And the same could be said about the in-stadium experience too. So the reason I, I really like Bevo Boulevard and that addition is I think the tailgating at Texas – and this is no, I'm sure there are people that do badass, freaking kick-ass, compete with anybody in the country tailgates around around the stadium, wherever. But I think because it's so urban in Austin, we're uniquely located in a different type of spot versus some of these other um, schools like A&M, Tech is in Lubbock, Baylor even in Waco, you know, and they have, they have their own u- unique, the sailgating aspect of it too. They have, you know, all these other, uh, whether it's the Grove in Oxford or trying to think of other places I've been, we went to Alabama week two. That was an insane, true college town in the South, deep South type of tailgating experience. Heck, I went to a bunch of Mississippi State games. It's the same way. So I think that's what I like about Bevo Boulevard is it makes 
it gives people that come here for a game something a little more unique to Austin that we can do still within that space. And then you have, you know, the Longhorn city limits Well, they'll bring in, um, which again, I'm not like, I'm not a huge like music guy, but people think of Austin and they think of music. And now you're kind of meshing those two things together, whether some people might think it's kind of corny or, you know, whatever people think of it. I've never sat there and just like watched a band play. Like, it seems like they get bands that people care about and people want to see. So like, that's why I tell all my friends, if they come into Austin for just one game, I'm like, they're like, where should I tailgate? And I don't tell them like, go spend the whole time on Bevo Boulevard. I'm like, go cruise around and try to find some cool tailgates. And, you know, Texas fans are nice and they'll probably be hospitable. But yeah, go check out Bevo Boulevard. Like, I don't think that's something that you're going to see everywhere else. So I thought that was cool. I mean, obviously, you know, they're making cash on it too, which is, which I'm not naive. That's what drives everything. But I do think it is something that is a little more unique to our city and, you know, our stadium and kind of just game day um, atmosphere. Yeah, no, I look, I agree with that. And my kids, by the way, whenever we go to a game, they don't want to go hang out at a tailgate. They want to go to right. Bevo Boulevard. Why do they want to go Bevo Boulevard? Because it is a family-friendly environment and you have the free carnival rides and the games that they can play and a lot of stuff that's oriented to uh, to appeal to the younger fans to, uh, to leave them less bored Whereas in normal circumstances, they'd be hanging out at a tailgate while mom, mom and dad are, are maybe drinking some beer and having right. burgers and, and brats. You guys can still go grab a brew or grab whatever drink. You know, they're selling drinks out there on Bevo Boulevard. And then the team walks in through Bevo Boulevard. Like, I think that's been a cool addition. Yeah, I, I, uh, I do agree with that. And even though Bevo Boulevard is not necessarily my scene, I will agree with you on the Longhorn City Limits bit. Like, they had Big Boy from Outcast performing yeah. a couple games ago. The most fun so that I had... Is it pretty cool down there? Like, I've never... I just because since I'm working, I've never been able to go and just, like, sit and watch a concert on the lawn. It is really cool. And the most fun that I had at a game last year was the pregame concert for Longhorn City Limits that was played by Third Eye Blind. They rocked it out. Now, they played their newer stuff that nobody knew. When they played the older stuff, we were... We were rocking out, man. And they finished with what what is my favorite song of theirs. And it was awesome. And it set a great tone for what I think turned out to be a Longhorn victory. I don't even remember what happened in the game, but I do remember that pregame concert and I will for the rest of my life. Yeah. See, but that kind of stuff, to me, that kind of stuff is cool. People come here, especially just for one game or something like that. I think it gives them something different that they're not going to get everywhere else. Yes, it does. By the way, Brian Zach... Uh, drum covers Zach Bryan drum covers says the playoffs have already started for Texas after the loss on Saturday every game the rest of the season is a playoff game that's a great way to put it every game the rest of the way is a playoff game for you and if you lose you no longer have a chance at that 14 playoff now that'll change next year when we go to the 12 team playoff but the competition obviously becomes much tougher too entering the big 12 but that's the mindset that uh, mindset that you have to have and I'm glad that this Texas football team does get the bye week this week, Jeff, because it'll give them some extra time to really think about what went wrong on Saturday and how they cannot necessarily take an opponent or a moment for granted. while also working on some of the little things that are fixable, like the communication issue on that last Oklahoma offensive play of the game where, you know, having gone back and watched that play several times now, it looked like Benda was 
trying to take on the tight end, but then he saw Jaron Thompson up on the tight end, so he assumed somebody was behind him to take the receiver. That was clearly not the case. It's little things like that where you're not only uh, trying to communicate to your teammate next to you, you're making sure you understand what is going on around you as well. So something like that does not happen again. Well, and I, I love I love the way that that he summed that up as well. Because, and I mean, not to be Captain Obvious, but they have six games. I think the way the schedule lines up too lends itself to what I'm about to say. They have six games left. They should win all six of those games. Yeah. If they do not, granted, crazy injuries, other circumstances that haven't arise that, that haven't come up yet that may arise, knock on wood. But if they don't, and it kind of stays like this, you have six games that you should win. So if you don't win those six games, it's it's pretty cut and dry. They're either going to show us they're the team that we thought they were when we watched the first five games and we watched the Alabama win and some of the impressive ways that, you know, whether it was Kansas or Wyoming, when they didn't play all that well, that they came back and then kicked ass in the fourth quarter. We're going to find out if they're that team or if they're kind of just a slightly better version of the eight and four team last year. Like, you know, because eight and four to 10 and two, yeah, that's that's a big upgrade. But when you think about, you know, how good we thought this defense is, and they still might be, it could have just had one really shitty game. And maybe we'll, we'll look back later and say, hey, 12 and one big 12 champs, they went to the playoff. But that still is not, it doesn't feel out of the realm of possibility. And I know we, we talk about SC every week, given my initial fandom for the first part of my life. But it's a complete, and they haven't lost a game yet, so it's a little different. But it's kind of that same feeling where, or different feeling where you look at their schedule, and if that was Texas's schedule, I would be like, oh, shit, man, five and one, and you have that schedule coming up, but it's the complete opposite. You go five and one, and you got that schedule coming up. Not that you, can, you can't overlook, I mean, you can't overlook anybody. It's obviously any given Saturday in the sport is the truest cliche, but also, like, can't overlook Kansas State. I know they looked horrific against TCU, or not against TCU, um, against Oklahoma State on Friday night. Yeah. Um, you still can't overlook TCU, uh, although I think that should be a big win. But it's on the road. It's in Fort Worth. Who knows if it'll be a night game or not. Tech at the end of the season, I mean, they look like they're still a solid team, even with Shuck out for the season. Uh, Austin Kid, Maynard Kid, Taj Brooks is the second best Brooks that plays running back in the Big 12. But Still a really good player, another 100-yard game for him. So, um, yeah, there's, you know, a Matt Campbell coach team. I know they're not very good, but I'm never going to count out a Matt Campbell coach team, especially late in the season with that much time to figure it out. But, again, at the end of the day, people are probably at home like, dude, like they should win all those freaking games, and they should. So we're about to find out who this team really is. I'm just looking at what happened uh, in the Big 12 this last weekend. You mentioned Kansas State losing at Oklahoma State. Bad game for Will Howard, by the way. I was watching most of the second half there. Kansas takes care of business over UCF in a major way, 51-22. to Texas Tech beats Baylor. They are now back, I believe, above 500 with the 39-14 win. And then Iowa State does take care of business against TCU. That one was in Ames, 27 to 14. I think that says more about TCU and just how bad they are this year. But then again, I thought that Iowa State would be one of the two worst teams in the Big 12 this year. And both them and West Virginia are winning games that uh, they should not be winning. So they are not the worst teams in the Big 12. That honor might belong or (laughs) might go to Houston, TCU, and maybe even Baylor at this point. 
I didn't even see in that Baylor game if um, if uh, Baylor got Blake Shapen back. They did get Blake Shapen back in that game, and he wasn't terrible necessarily, but uh, Baylor was uh, was having to play from behind for a majority of that game. They only had three points through three quarters, and uh, Texas Tech does win, and perhaps they're getting back on track now after a rough start to the year. Now, they're not over 500, excuse me. They are 3-3 three and three at this point and 2-1 and one in Big 12 play. You know, they have some talent, and you know how they're going to feel about regular season finale. Last, I, I don't care that it's in Austin on Black Friday at 6.30 at night, and that crowd's hopefully, hopefully for Texas' sake, going to be insane, just like the crowd for the 2.30 kick last year that Texas walked into in Lubbock that was crazy and ended up storming the field. They're not going to give a shit about that, man. One last crack at Texas. And as much as I roll my eyes at that cliche of, oh, Texas gets everyone's best shot, even though there's a lot of truth to it, this is one of those cases where I am totally on board with it. They want one last chance to stick it to Texas. And to think that that could be a game where Texas is 10-1 and and Tech is whatever the hell their record is, who gives a shit if they're playing for bowl eligibility at that point or not, or they're already there. They are going to look at it and go, we can spoil their hopes and dreams going into their, you know, going into a, a new era of college football. Texas going to the SEC and then texting in this new look, Big 12 or mid 12, as our guy Jake said. I like that. Um, but yeah, like tech is going to be just absolutely ready to jump out of their shoes, wanting to beat the shit out of Texas one more time and play spoiler. If, you know, if no one else beats, if Texas wins the next five games. I don't want to take this for granted because, well, I kind of did that versus Oklahoma this last weekend. But typically when Texas is good and TC or and Texas Tech is not very good, which is the case, at least right now, Tech doesn't usually beat the Longhorns in Austin. Now, as you just said, this is their last chance to prove themselves before we may never play them again in the regular season. So... They are going to be throwing the kitchen sink at Texas to try and rattle them early in that game and give themselves a chance to win. But I'm still not that worried about that one. But I'm also not worried about the game in Ames. Like, the Iowa State defense was good. They had four turnovers against CCU. But TCU sucks offensively this year. And Iowa State is still not very good on offense. So you're going to beat Texas. It has to be a complete performance on both sides of the ball. And other than May, like, I can't even say Kansas State is that anymore. Like, you need a team who can play a good game on both sides of the ball, and the teams left on the schedule are maybe decent at one or the other, but not both. And so uh, I think Texas, because I do still believe in the players and the coaching staff to get focused for that next game and to not just put two days ago behind them, but again, to extract the necessary lessons from that game that I'm confident that they will win out and play Oklahoma one more time before the season is over with quite possibly with a college football playoff trip on the line. Man, that would be, how much freaking fun would that be? That sounds, uh, and, and from all the just absolute, um, just flaming garbage, that I've covered with this program the last couple of years of just coaching change, crappy teams, no bowl game two years ago. I mean, that just sounds like absolute heaven being able to cover that game of 
you know, where, I think it could be 12 and 0 Oklahoma, 11 and 1 Texas, could be 11 and 1 Oklahoma, 11 and 1 Texas, whatever it may be. Actually, 11 and 1 Oklahoma, 11 and 1 Texas is the ideal scenario for UT because then it truly is for that team goes to the playoff because at that point, then, you know, OU would have two losses. I mean, if you're Texas, that's kind of the ideal scenario, right? Is OU slips up one time along the way because I don't think this would become an issue, but if it's 12 and 0 Oklahoma and 11 and 1 Texas, then you kind of have the, yeah, Texas has the most recent win and they're the conference champion. Uh, but then you do, I mean, I think Texas would, would get that bid, but you don't even want that to be, a, you don't even want that to be a conversation, right? No, no, you don't. Well, but I, I'm still confident if that does become the conversation that the scales will tip in favor of Texas just because of the full body of work. Yeah. And then especially if, if Alabama ends up winning the SEC West, like it looks like they're kind of in the driver's seat to do at this point, it's you know, so- then it's like, Hey, you beat yeah. the SEC West champion who probably will inevitably lose to Georgia in the SEC championship game, but still handed Alabama, one of their two, maybe three losses, likely only two losses. Um, and then Oklahoma's best win outside of that would be, I, I don't even know, like, Kansas. The, I mean, Texas, obviously, but outside of that win, I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think the body of, I totally agree. I think the body of work would win out for Texas, but I just, like, I, I'm just very much like, I don't even want that to even be part of the conversation. You don't even but want Oklahoma. It, you know, I, I look, I completely agree with that. If Oklahoma could get tripped up by West Virginia or let's look at the schedule. I like how you pause for a minute and you're like, they're not going to lose to anybody the rest of the way. So both Texas and OU have a bye this next week. After that, Oklahoma plays UCF and Norman. <clears throat> That's going to be a win. Then Oklahoma's on the road at Kansas. Depends on what Daniel's status is. If Daniels is playing right. in that game, then Kansas has a chance. Yeah. After that, it's at Oklahoma State. That's going to be a win because Oklahoma State sucks against OU most years. Then they host West Virginia. Wait, the last the last bedlam before real before all this realignment isn't the regular season finale. Now, remember they changed that up a few years ago. Uh, and they could have moved it back this year. You're right about that, but they didn't. Then they're at BYU. BYU's not very good. TCU on the Friday after Thanksgiving at OU. And that's the regular season schedule for Oklahoma. So are they going to be undefeated at the end of that? Probably. Yeah. All right. 12 and Oklahoma, 11 and 1 Texas it is. I would love to see Daniels trip Oklahoma up. To, uh, to really put the pressure on them in a Big 12 championship game rematch. Now, let's see. Kansas has already lost to Texas. Kansas hasn't lost another Big 12 game yet. So there's a chance there could be a three-way tie at that point. And if so, I think they're probably coin flipping. Oh, God. Wouldn't that be funny if that's how things finished out this year with a three-way tie for two spots in a Big 12 championship game? And by the result of a coin flip, either Texas or OU ends up on the outside looking in. Wow, I did. I, I don't even want to. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to entertain that. I mean, damn. <laughs> yeah, that would kind of be like the three way tie that they were just talking. Uh, we were talking about in 08. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I don't. I don't think that'll happen. Oh well, thanks. Now, now you just ruined my sleep for the next. 
however many weeks until Kansas loses the game. Thanks, Trey. Well, I figured you, USC's defense is already costing you that, Jeff. Although, according to Caleb Williams, USC's defense is the reason why they won the game on Saturday. Come on now. Oh, this is this is me watching that USC game. I mean, I I don't even. There were, it was just like after the game. It wasn't even relief. It wasn't even like back in the day when SC would sneak out a tough win at Oregon State on the road on a Friday night, and the fog was covering the whole stadium, and Reggie Bush muffs a punt. You know, whatever like whatever random bullshit would happen. Like when they would go on the road, inevitably somewhere. Like, I, I just, I, I couldn't with that freaking game, man. I mean, Caleb Williams has no help. That is a one-man show if I've ever seen one. And I was, yeah, I, I was I was losing it. I was texting, I mean, my family and I will text after those games, and we just say the most, the, just the craziest shit ever. I'm like, six and six, six and six. Like, hopefully we can go to the Sun Bowl. You know, <laughs> just the most, like, hyperbolic overreaction of what's going to happen the rest of the way, but... Yeah, I mean, that's what Caleb Williams is supposed to say, man. You know, I mean, he can't, what's he supposed to do? Get up there and go, can a guy get some freaking help? Like, can a guy, like, what do you want me to go out there and get a stop myself? That's probably what he's thinking, though. He should be. Yeah. No, it's, and you can, his body language is pretty damn good. But I will say, like, especially for a college, college athlete, you know, still a very young person. He's super mature beyond his years. Um, outside of the uh, the F Utah finger paint in the Pac-12 championship game or whatever that was. I don't even remember that. Oh, you don't remember that when he like drew on the fingernails or whatever, like F Utah, something crazy like that. But that's come on. Let a guy be <laughs> let, let a college kid be a college kid and talk a little bit of subtle shit, please. No, I I, I totally agree. Um it's just lame when you you can't do that and lose. That's my that's my only thing about that. You're but, right about that. Um no, but like you could see it on the sideline, like the dude was, I don't know if you watched that game. Hopefully you was some you some you time for the wife and you weren't watching Pac-12 football at 1.30 a.m., you know. I was not. No, I was actually yeah. fast asleep at that time. Okay. Yeah, good. Yeah. You're just you're you're smarter than I am. So that's why you were you were doing that. Cause I woke up exhausted and just like looking for looking for any sort of silver lining, whether it was because of Texas or because of USC or because of the Dodgers or because all of the teams that I'm involved with that just kicked me in the dick on Saturday, Trey. So were you still in Dallas watching that game in your hotel room at one 30 in the morning? No, no. So we got a hotel room. Uh, we always get a hotel room Friday night. And then just so that we don't have to do the crazy, like there's a lot of local TV stations um, in this town. And I've done it before that will do high school football on a Friday night and then have like three people drive up and cover the game. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you, Trey. I, I eventually just went to my bosses and was like, can I just get a $150 hotel room for like one night? And they were thankfully, you know, to their credit, were totally cool with realizing the absolute insanity of asking us to do that after working a night shift. Um, but there's still quite a few stations that'll pile up four four people in there and drive up day of and drive back same day. But no, I, I, I drove back and, uh, God, I, I was back at home by like nine forty-five or ten. So, so how bad is traffic on thirty-five leaving? What like an hour after the game on Saturday? So not that bad because we're we don't really leave until about in probably three hours after the game. I would say. Oh, okay. Yeah, without like 
and it's easier getting out of the cotton bowl in the state fair at that time, like without boring people with the logistics. Basically it's like we cover the game. We get a little bit of the celebration. Obviously it pushes it back a little bit. If the team you're covering Texas in our case wins, because then you have the whole golden hat ceremony. They do their post game second. It takes forever to get off the field. Everyone's getting a million pictures, um, which is fun. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the awesome part of it. But when you cover the losing team, it's a little quicker. They go in do their post game breaks, break some players out for interviews. And then we will basically finish up our segment, send everything back and then drive back. So yeah, we were, we were like in the car by about six fifteen. What time did you drive up on Friday? No, you drew, you, you drove up on Friday. What time did you drive up on Friday? Yeah. Friday, Teddy, our photog and I probably left Austin around 1030. Okay. That's a little bit after I left. I didn't deal with any traffic. No. I know no. that 35 is hell starting in South Austin, going all the way into San Antonio right now. Do not recommend, although sometimes you just have no choice. Yeah. They finally finished 35 between Austin and Dallas. It is a glorious drive now. Yeah. It's three lanes on each side of the highway the entire way, except a small stretch, I believe, between Waxahachie and Dallas. It's a very small stretch, though. And I was told that there was traffic on Friday afternoon, but that's kind of your bad, leaving on a Friday afternoon in Texas OU. It was smooth sailing for me on Friday morning. Yeah, same with us. I mean, we could have, uh, like, I mean, we probably didn't hit traffic until we got to, like, really into Dallas. Because what we did was we went to the state fair for a minute to go um, film some stuff for the segment that night. And then we went, just went to our hotel after that. And we were, we were fine. I mean, we, you know, hit a little bit of the traffic leaving the state fair of just the Dallas, you know, nine to fivers commuters leaving a little early on a Friday, but not, not too bad. Love to hear it, man. Yeah. Fletcher's corn dog is not Friday. Then it's still early Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I did. Mine. Uh, Cliff, uh, Cliff Thornton and I from Fox snuck out for a minute on, uh, on Saturday, probably for about a, after the team, the team arrived about eight 50. And then we probably got like a, like a nine 15 corny dog in there. It's the, it's the state oh. breakfast breakfast of champions. So the, the uh, funny part is at the stadium in the press box, you know, they'll do it. They do a meal every press box you go to. And for the Texas OU game, every year I've covered it, and they've probably been doing this for a long time then, because I've been covering the game for almost eight to 10 years. If you include a couple times, I covered it for student media in college. They do Rudy's barbecue catered in. So you're just slamming brisket, turkey, sausage, whatever, and all the all the fixins and sides. <laughs> like, like I had my corny dog at the fair, went up to the media entrance, went up to the press box, and then just like, devoured some Rudy's knowing I probably wasn't going to eat until like we stopped in Hillsboro at seven or eight o'clock. Okay. Hold on now. Hold on. Look, I get it. Most weeks Rudy's is a fine free game meal in the press box. You are making a catastrophic mistake in the cotton bowl. If you're not serving up all the delicious fried food that's around, you're making somebody's life way too difficult bringing in the Rudy's. Just go down to the Fletcher stand and get like 30 corn dogs. So, so are you, what you're saying is instead of catering the meal in, they should just, cause some stadiums like more baseball games and basketball games have covered. They'll give you like a food voucher and you like, um, this is like when we've covered March madness, they do that a lot. Here's $20 to go up to the concession stand or whatever and get whatever you want. 
So you're saying they should just give out like state fair tickets and just being like, go like ruin your gut with like, here's 25 state fair tickets. See what that gets you and just go ruin your gut and come no, back and cover the game. No, make it easier. Make it easier for you guys. Bring in like 50 Fletcher's corn dogs. Bring in some of the savory winner this year, which is the fried pho, which is pretty much a Vietnamese egg roll. Bring in some fried Snickers or fried peanut butter cups. Dude, there's a Neapolitan pizza spot that's right there where Big Tex is. I didn't get the pizza this year. I guarantee if that stand is there next year, I'm getting the pizza because I saw a pepperoni pizza. That looks delicious. Like there's a thousand different things you can get from the media that plays into the novelty of the state fair that keeps them from having to travel all throughout the state fair in order to uh, to try some of these delicious fried foods that are going to clog arteries. That's what I need to do a better job of next time is like, I feel like I've just fallen into the, and not that it's a, not that it's a bad tradition. It's a fun tradition to do the Fletcher's corny dog, but I need to go really for the first time in a while, explore like all the other stuff that's there. Like you mentioned the pizza, the fried pho, dude, I'm, I'm a pretty adventurous eater. Like I'd be all in on, on trying that or just some of the other, even like, I don't even think I've ever had a fried Oreo. Like just some of these things that, uh, that I haven't, that I haven't been able to try either ever or just in years since I was in college and didn't have as many res- like actual professional responsibilities when I'm at the Texas OU game. But I just need to build in that time and just spend my own money and just punt on the free Rudy's, just the absolute gut buster of the Rudy's 9 a.m. barbecue and just go at least bust my gut on something more unique. I'm telling you, you wash it down with a little bit of beer and it's, uh, it, it dissolves in your stomach. It's uh, strange how, how magical it is at the state fair. So is your go-to junk sweet food then the Oreo? Um, I don't know. Like candy bars or Oreos or something along those lines. The fried Snickers sounds, sounds delightful as well. I, I love it. You know, one of my favorite, I love Snickers, but then one of my favorites is like, that you get at the gas station and stuff, or that's just like where I've gotten them. The Snickers ice cream bar. That's good. Yeah. So I feel like I would, I feel like I I would dig the uh, fried Snickers. Fried Snickers is good. I don't even like Oreos that much, but the fried Oreo is good. I think I've done a fried Butterfinger that has been good. It's pretty much fine. Fried peanut butter cup. I can't stop thinking about this isn't sweets, but I can't stop thinking about the fried pho. It, it literally won the best new savory food at the state fair this year. Wow, and unfortunately, I could not find it. I had 30 minutes off during the uh, TSU pregame broadcast on Saturday. I walked around the fair trying to find a stand that sold that, and I never found it. And I've heard great things from friends, too, who have tried it previously, like earlier um, earlier this month. They went non-Texas OU weekend. And they're like, yeah, it's delicious. It is as advertised. And it's the thing I wanted to try most this year and unfortunately could not find it. Yeah, that's a, that's one I'm going to have to, you know, I'm, I'm making a note of that next year. Also, too, I want to uh, want to bring the family next year for the first time as well. I haven't, haven't been able to do that yet. A lot of fun taking the kiddos to the state fair for sure. Yeah, I was, I was sending videos and uh, Jasmine was sending me like, stuff back and and jace was asking me why i didn't take him to the carnival (laughs) and i was like you know what that's a fair question we're doing we are doing that next year like it's a lot of work for me when i'm there but she's from the dallas area and and i'm like he'll he'll be five at that time so i'm like i think that'll be pretty good age for 
first state fair adventure? I think we started taking the kids. I guess my daughter would have been seven. My son was five, and he they both had an absolute blast. And I rode, now he couldn't ride a few of the roller coasters because he wasn't quite tall enough yet. But the roller coasters that I rode with both of them, even the like more mundane, safer roller coasters, at 45, Jeff, I, I just, I don't have the mentality that it takes to enjoy a roller coaster anymore. I'm sitting there thinking the entire time, there's some toothless, carny OU fan that is essentially responsible for my livelihood right now. This does not feel, uh, this does not feel safe at all. Just get me off of this thing. And ultimately, I do survive and get off and swear never to do another one again before my kids ask me if I want to go on the next one. And I say yes. We've all we've all seen the stories too of the like roller coaster that gets stuck and all that kind of stuff. But uh, Jasmine has already made it very clear. We haven't gone to we haven't all gone to an amusement park yet. We'll probably do that soon. Um, but she's already made it clear like you're you're on roller coaster duty. Like mm. when he gets older, do you I'm like, like roller okay. coasters? I, I do, yeah. And I don't get like I'll get a little dizzy and maybe not like feel awesome, but not to the point where. I'll just get like motion sickness. Like she's more, she's more of like would go on one of those that even is like kind of middle, the middle tier, mid tier, like I guess craziness or spins and would get like not feeling great. Whereas I'm just kind of like going to get off and be like, as long as I didn't eat like, like a bowl of fried pho (laughs) right before I went on. Well, then you're screwed next year because yeah, you could never be eating the fried pho. <laughs> true. I'm kind of contradicting myself here. I'm like, I'm going to eat all this stuff and then go on all the roller coasters and then go work. Yeah, I don't get sick either. I just fear for my life now, which is weird because I used to love roller coasters as a kid. Yeah. There's a couple of things as an adult that I just have no more use for. I'm starting to wonder about haunted houses now because I used to love haunted houses as a kid, but I can't uh, do that anymore. But Yeah, I actually, uh, random haunted house story, I can't remember what they, they, it's the Six Flags one. We have a Six Flags in um, in the LA area. It's like out in like Valencia, which is, you know, pretty far outside of LA, but close enough to just like do a day trip. When we were teenagers, and I'll preface this with like, I'm the, I'm the kid that like, or not the kid, like the person that you better not scare me too much because I'll just like inevitably be like, like punch. Well, we were walking through one of the haunted houses and I didn't hit him in the face, but I elbowed the absolute shit out of like one of those guys that's supposed to just jump out and scare you and i i was just like i thought i was gonna get kicked out dude i elbowed him pretty good like right in the chest so that's kind of where i was like i'm pretty done with haunted houses mainly just because like i don't want to get arrested for punching one of these people in the face even though you go in knowing that they're gonna do that i mean their job is to scare you they have to understand that that is an unfortunate byproduct of that job at times. I'm glad you mentioned that about the haunted houses too, because I'm thinking about scary movies now. Like I don't have the threshold for scary movies anymore. So I'm guessing that if I were to be in a haunted house, I'd be ready to, uh, to throw hands over some same thing. Poor, poor teenager who's just trying to scare people. Yeah. It was some like college kid who like jumped out and then I hit him. He's like, dude, what the hell? Which is kind of funny to see a dude in like full costume like that just break character. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you know you hit him good. Yeah. Uh, Luckily, I didn't get tossed. Anything else jump out at you from the college football weekend, Jeff? Um, Notre Dame losing their their, uh, college football playoff aspirations are eventually done. Who, Who was that? 
Notre Dame losing to uh, Louisville um, in pretty emphatic fashion, too. Yeah, um, I would say I'm more surprised at Louisville than I am that Notre Dame lost another game. Uh, I kind of wish, from an SC standpoint, I'd kind of wish that they lost uh, or that they had won. So because now they're going to come out, you know, come out extra motivated and all that. Two losses in their last three games. Um, but yeah, like Louisville. I don't think they're for real. I don't think they're a for real playoff contender. I feel like at some point, because I think they have like Clemson and Duke maybe left on the schedule. And again, who knows with Duke? I don't know the Riley Leonard status or that kind of stuff. So that that might be an easier game than it otherwise would have been. Um, I don't know if they're for real, but like 6-0, and man, like in their first season, in Brahms' first season, you know, and that's the kind of stuff where – I, I, it's hard not to look at it from a Texas standpoint because I do think Sark and his staff are building this thing the right way. And I think they're building like an SEC ready team. And that's kind of the goal. It wasn't to just like flip it, snap a finger, and then go from winning seven games to winning, you know, nine or 10 games. It was to like be sustainable and compete in the SEC for years to come. But yeah, it's hard to just see all these other coaches like really have this much success and even OU now, you know, and, OU's going to go freaking 12-0 and in Venable's second season. <laughs> but, anyway, I, I mean, I, I digress. Like, overall, just from a college football standpoint, probably didn't see much of the game, but saw the end of the A&M-Alabama game. Uh, just, you know, that – that uh, I, I understand being down two scores. I don't know if you watched the end of that, that Jimbo game. Yeah. Um, or that uh, Jimbo decision – I think think you needed to go for a touchdown there. Yeah. The two score thing too, but there was no guarantee that you were going to make it that deep into Alabama territory again. Exactly. And Bob and I were watching and we were going back and forth about it. And that's exactly what I said. And he was like, well, they just drove the field on him there. And I go, right. But like, they really hadn't been doing that all game. You know, I understand making it a one possession game, but that you need a touchdown. And that was your best chance to score a touchdown. Like, I'm sorry your best chance to score a touchdown is not going to be to go with no timeouts and 50 seconds on the clock or whatever they would have had and go down and score a touchdown against them. You could 50 seconds, no timeouts starting on the 25, starting on the 35, wherever you could get in field goal range and, and kick it there, but you know, kick a potential game winner. I totally agree. You needed to go for that. Like if you're going to beat a team like that, you need to play it safe. That's a decision you make when, a team that's not as good as you, that's been somehow playing better than you all game, has you on the ropes. Maybe you make that decision and you say, hey, we woke up and we're playing better. But not when you're trying to knock out Alabama. Not when you're in year six and you're trying to get this program back on track after, you know, all the way back to the horrible loss to Miami early in the season. I don't know. I don't know how you felt about just where, where they stand after that game now. There was an opportunity there for them, and they completely blew it. There are a lot of people picking them to, I guess, you know, it's considered an upset because Alabama was the favorite, but it was close to a pick And unfortunately, A&M uh, loses that game in a pretty conservative fashion. So A&M fans should be frustrated by that. Jimbo needs to understand how to be a um, – how to how to take uh, calculated risks, I guess. And in that situation, even though it was a risk that you wouldn't get it, you wouldn't get into the end zone on that fourth down play, That's it's still a risk worth taking for the reasons you just spelled out right there. And so A&M is 
You know, they're now sitting two and one in the SEC. They had an opportunity if they won that game to really control their fate the rest of the way. But here we are now, three games into SEC play, and Alabama, despite the fact that they're clearly down this year, they're still good defensively, and they now control their own fate the rest of the way. They've already knocked off Ole Miss, who gave a pathetic effort in Tuscaloosa a couple weeks ago. Like if LSU, I guess, continue to scratch and claw and win games, then they are... Uh, it doesn't look good for them, like what happened against Missouri this last week. Then I guess LSU will have some say so too. But it's uh, it's disappointing for the rest of the SEC West, or I'm disappointed, I guess I should say, in the rest of the SEC West that they're not making things more difficult on Alabama right now. That's good for Texas because that win in Tuscaloosa will continue to look better and better as they continue to rise back up in the rankings. But it is. Uh, it's still it's still pathetic for the rest of the SEC West that somebody else can't jump up and win that division this year to face Georgia in the uh, SEC championship game. Absolutely. And I think if you're an A&M fan, you have to look at that and go, like, just, oh, uh, like, if not now, then when? With Jimbo and this program. You know, and I know they've had a lot of bad luck. I mean, it's what, two years in a row they've had their, their starting quarterback knocked out and um, – uh, you know, miss significant time or be knocked out for the season. So that's tough too, but this really was a chance for all those teams, whether it's, you know, I mean, I know LSU won the SEC West last year, but whether it's LSU to do it again um, and really take another step when Brian Kelly's second season or it's Ole Miss and, you know, with Lane Kiffin or A&M, like all these other teams, like you had this chance and then it's still like, like look at silly us for like, thinking that Saban, you know, even after last year, like was going to leave the door open again. (laughs) So did you see what happened at the end of the Miami game? Because Nick Saban was almost guilty of something very similar in the A&M game where they could have just kneeled the clock out, but for some reason they decided to throw the football on two straight downs even though they could have essentially wound the clock down to zero. A&M was almost guilty of this. Miami actually did it. Where rather than kneeling, they decided to run regular plays, and uh, they end up turning over the football, I believe, giving Georgia Tech a chance to win. Speaking of former A&M quarterback, uh, Haynes King leads Georgia Tech back down the field, and they win the game. Bad look. Bad look for Mark. Oh, awful look. But uh, didn't Haynes King have like 75 passing yards he was going into that final good. drive? And then I think he had like 76 on the last drive. Yeah, that's or right. Maybe, maybe, maybe all the way around. 151, 151 on the game. And yes, you're right. He gained half of that on that final <laughs> drive. I mean, that last play, man, like, like not even the kneel aside, the last play there where you had like four defensive backs kind of in the area, but nowhere close enough to actually make the play. That's just got to be one of those where you're watching. Like, I don't even know if you watched that tape. Like, I mean, obviously I'm sure they did, but that's got to be one of those where you're like, just bury the tape. Because I would have, I would have nightmares if I was one of those defensive backs or one of those defensive coaches or anybody on within that program of just like the overhead all 22 screenshot of that last play where the ball is about to fall into the receiver's hands. And you just have four DBs all around him on the left side, but nowhere nowhere close enough to make a play. I mean, that's brutal. But yeah, with Cristobal, also, everyone else dug this up on on um, on Twitter later. 
this isn't even the first time he's done this. It didn't happen in the exact. Oh yeah. It didn't even happen in the exact same way, but I think they, he did the same thing where they fumbled instead of taking a knee. And then I want to say they ended up like losing in overtime, but that is inexcusable. Yeah. Not, not to, I mean, it's, it's almost not even, it's almost so stupid. It's not even like worth a rant. It's just like, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. Speechless. It's a fireable offense is what it yeah. is. No, it 100% You're you proving yourself as incapable of doing what a head coach needs to do to, to allow his team to simply win a game by kneeling the clock out. That's it. It's kneel the clock out versus running plays that elevate the potential of you turning the football over. And there's no reason for you to continue to run plays. You don't need to pick up another first down. All you have to do is kneel to run the clock out. And in classic college football, always delivers something extra or one-ups itself fashion. I thought that Marcus Freeman um, only having four players or only having uh, 10 players on the, on the field for that final play. I thought plays too. Yeah. I thought that was going to be the worst coaching blunder from a major college football coach that I would see all regular season at least. And then Mario Cristobal was like, Pull my beer, dog. <laughs> you guys, look, I know your defense sucks, and this game is in South Bend. You guys are going to murder them this weekend. I hope so, and that's uh, from a betting standpoint. Like, I hate it because I hate betting on teams that I root for, but yeah. that's kind of a spot that I really like. Like, I think Notre Dame is favored by one and a half or what? something like that. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, it's a, a, essentially a pick them or something like that. So not that good. Like their defense is okay. Their their defense is not going to be able to stop USC. And look, they have a good running back and Hartman makes throws at times. Like, I'm sorry. Hartman was re- receiving way too much love at the beginning of the season. Yeah. And, and I think um, also that Arizona game and here I go trying to, you know, it's taken me two days. Here I go trying to put a couple uh, smiley faces on it and spin it a little bit. But that quarterback that, that they played pretty sure that was his first start Noah Fafita from Arizona and I mean it to his credit like guy played his ass off like LA kid coming back home kind of a trap game sort of spot their last game against a you know uh, middle of the pack opponent but I don't know I'm trying to like you know I can't even do it Trey I don't even know that was bullshit like I'm, I'm trying to be positive about it but no, that was like the one thing I point to is like maybe sometimes, and you've seen this, like you know, with Texas in a way, like sometimes the quarterback that you never prepared for, who ends up actually being better than the starter, if he's even if he's just a little more inexperienced, like ends up being a little bit more difficult to play. That could be the case if you don't have. I mean, the only tape you have on a kid is high school tape, right? If you don't have game tape on a guy, it's why guys like Colt McCoy will be NFL backups for more than a decade because they're really bright and they understand the playbook. And if you understand how to play call for him, the defense doesn't know what's coming and they process things so quickly. They can make those those fast, easy throws. And then once you get the game tape on them, you know what the you know what their limits are in terms of where they're effective. And so you start hedging into those areas and force them to make more difficult throws. And usually that's what things fall apart for them. Yeah. So I guess the hindsight now is we have 14 years of college film on Sam Hartman to get ready. (laughs) 
<laughs> he, he has strapping good looks. I will say that uh, for Sam Hartman. I'm I, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, the little uh, like the little he like runs out and does the hair flip like that. Does the little beaver hair flip. I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little jealous. I'm a little jealous. And also, I can't even grow a beard like even even halfway decent. Like I can barely get the uh, you know nasty stash and the and the goatee going. So yeah, just not gonna lie. I think I have decent hair, but a little little bit jealous when I see a guy like that who just you know has it all. Hopefully, hopefully he has all he has everything in life. I, I root for that for Sam Harbin to have everything in life except for a win over USC. I hope he's a membo. I hope as good looking as he is, he's not that bright of a dude. No, I don't really hope that. <laughs> Apparently, he is a really bright dude also who has a bright NFL future. I don't know, though, because I've seen him uh, these last few weeks not be very clutch. And does he still have pro prospects? Because he is tall and he's got a good arm and he's yeah. probably good at answering uh, the stupid questions that are going to be asked of him at the combine. Yeah. But, um, right. He, he might have, he might have a, a Minshew esque pro career, maybe like, I mean, Minshew's probably got a little more arm talent than him, but, and maybe I'm just reaching there with like the long hair and the, you know, kind of a little bit of a goofiness, if you will. I'll I mean, Minshew, Minshew's kind of more like, he looks kind of more like the redneck version of <laughs> Sam Hartman. That's a good way to put it. I will say this about Minshew because I talked to Mike Leach about him a couple of years ago, RIP, because I love Minshew. And Mike Leach loved Minshew also. I asked him for a good Minshew story. He's got, like, I've got so many Minshew stories. He's like, my favorite thing about Gardner Minshew is how quickly he can get the football out. And you see the stats now, especially at the NFL, how quickly a guy gets it out. Leader is 2.5 seconds. Dak is third in the NFL at 2.7 seconds. It's like, wow, this is, I mean, one, they're they're all getting it out pretty fast, but is this, you know, how big of a difference is it between two and a half and three seconds? So if he gets it out that quickly, then yeah, he's going to have success at the NFL level because that's what it's all about at the NFL now for a couple of reasons. One, you're hitting that first read that is open enough for you to, uh, to hit that window. But two, you're also not taking a sack either. Well, I was watching Colts Titans yesterday because I'm just an absolute degenerate and I had the Colts. But Minshew came into that game after Anthony Richardson went down with a shoulder injury and perfect example of why he's the perfect backup quarterback in the NFL. For that reason, just came in, made pretty smart decisions. Like, I don't even want to like disrespect it and what he did and say like he nickel and dimed it, but I feel like he just made a ton of big throws on third and five third and six, third and two. And then the rest of the time, he just managed the offense well. He didn't try to do too much. And, you know, I know he hasn't always been that way, but I think he's, you know, to his credit, a smart, savvy dude who's realized, hey, if this is what I this is what I want to do, have a career in the NFL, this is who I am. You know, like last year, run, like running the offense, second team behind Jalen Hurts. Like learn that, hey, I'm not Jalen Hurts. I'm not starting quarterback in the NFL, but I can still play from behind a guy like that. Or this year it's Anthony Richardson. And I come in and just hold hold everything together. So, you know, but to yeah, tie back to Sam Hartman, maybe he has that in him. Who knows? I don't know that I've seen much this year of that, but I feel like I did at Wake Forest, maybe. Maybe. I, I don't know. I He will definitely get a chance at the NFL. And if nothing else, he will uh, have a long career as a backup quarterback. And that serves certain guys well. That is one of the best jobs on the planet. Yeah. My dad opinion. always says that. <laughs> but it really it really is it's, yeah. like, yeah, it's like being a, a, a good kicker or punter or something like you're just gonna make a million dollars for 
more than a decade, a million plus dollars for more than a decade. Well, especially now, I don't know what Gardner... Where you can actually think for yourself once your playing career is over with? Yeah, I don't know what Gardner Minshew's contract details are, but I know like a good backup quarterback like that, who you really trust and feel confident when he has to come in the game, like they're paying a couple mil for that now. Yeah. Yes, they are. Well, Jeff, another Monday is in the books. Chip and Zay about to take over. What's up, fellas? What up? Good show, fellas. Thank, Thank you. you. What up, fellas? Lots of Texas OU talk on the agenda today. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. Post, the post-mortem. Yeah. Good news, fun. bad news, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mostly bad news, unfortunately, but y'all have fun with that. Thanks, y'all. Barker, good job, man. Thank you, Chip. Good seeing you today. Good seeing you. Good seeing you Saturday too. Yeah, man. Good, good work. Trey. PK man. Good seeing you. PK keeps releasing balloons every time I'm uh, signing on or signing off of the shows. I'm convinced of it now. Because that's not me that's doing that. Zay's a clever, sneaky fella. It's not Zay. It's not Zay. Uh, yeah, hey, me. You're not releasing the balloons? I'm not. Blame the black man, Chip. What is this? <laughs> no, Trey blames the black man. I just said you're a clever, sneaky fella. Oh, okay. All right, all right. I'm blaming the Jewish guy. I'm blaming BK for this. <laughs> I'll blame you, Zay, for other things. Okay. I'll take Don't it. you worry. Okay. It has nothing to do with you being <laughs> my brother. My brother. 